Please remain standing as we read God's Word. You'll find the passage is Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You'll find that on page 810, 810 of our Pew Bibles. Hear God's Word. You are the salt of the earth, but as salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. But do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives it light to all in the house? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you are the God who has given us this word and given us the spirit that we understand not only who you are, but how you call us to live in, in our world where you have us, in a city where you have us, in the office where you have us, in the families where you have us, in the neighborhood where you have us that we may be salt and light and work in our hearts and work in our minds that we may live out your word because of your grace and your mercy to us and for the name of Christ in whom we pray, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we uh, come together again to uh, look at um, our calling as a church as we look at our calling to be a church that is for the city. I think one of the unique things about Colorado Strings is the, uh, is the large military presence we have here. I mean, some towns have a military base. We've got a bunch. In fact, uh, how many of you either currently are or have been or are married to someone in the military? I'm not, but the rest of you, a lot, a lot, and, uh, and that's unique for our, our town to have that many people, and, um, and one of the things uh, that I've enjoyed is getting to know uh, people in the military, and one of the things I've learned from them is the importance of planning. I mean, if there's one thing the United States military takes seriously, it is planning. They are uh, very, very good at this sort of thing. Uh, the military always has a plan. Uh, however, as the uh, Prussian general said long ago, uh, no battle plan ever survives contact with the enemy. You can have a plan, but as soon as uh, the bullets are flying, uh, the plan has to change. The plan doesn't stay. So our military is so good, they have a plan even for that. And, uh, and they know that you cannot plan for every possible contingency. So one uh, doctrine of the U.S. military is something known as the commander's intent. Uh, the commander's intent is not just the order given to the unit or the battalion, uh, what they're supposed to do, but also it includes the goal and the purpose. So if subordinates know what the commander's intent is, when things begin to change on the battlefield, they're able to adapt and to adjust to accomplish the mission still because they know what the objective is. So uh, put it this way, let's say your objective is to, to uh, capture an enemy's airfield. But the reason you want to capture it is so that you can use it for your own troops. Now, if all you say to your soldiers is, take the enemy airfield, that's all you say, well, they may take the airfield, but they might blow up the runway in the process and destroy the tower, make it so the whole thing's not usable. But if you say, 
give them the command, take the enemy airfield so that we can use it ourselves, that clarifies the commander's intent. Now they understand what they're supposed to do and why they're supposed to do it. It, it, uh, it gives clarity to the mission. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 18, Jesus tells us who we are to be, who we are. He says we are salt and light. However, those instructions, unless we understand the intent behind them, can be misunderstood. That we need to know the commander's intent if we're going to be successful in carrying out Jesus' mission. So during the month of January, we're focusing on our theme for the year, which is for the city. And we actually have a tagline for that, for the city, gospel love and living local. And this theme ties directly to what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5, 13 to 18. So let's look at this theme, and we're going to look at it in reverse order, of what it means for us to be salt and light, what it means for us to live with gospel love and living local, beginning with living local. So for the city, living local. Now the verses we just read are part of the most famous sermon ever preached. It is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. It begins with, with the Beatitudes, talking about the character of those who are citizens of the kingdom and why, why we should be willing to suffer and endure hardship for the sake of the kingdom. And, uh, and so uh, in Matthew chapter four, Jesus introduces the Sermon on the Mount with these words, or Matthew introduces the Sermon on the Mount with these words. He says, and he, that is Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in, in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, and the word gospel literally means good news, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So what Jesus is doing is he's traveling throughout Galilee and he's, he's announcing the good news that the kingdom of heaven is here, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's saying that with his words and he's also doing it with his deeds. He's, he's healing the sick, he's, he's curing their affliction, he's, he's doing these miracles. And these miracles are not merely signs to get people's attention, they, they, they signify what the kingdom of God is going to be like. And so what Jesus is doing, he's saying, I'm here to to bring the promised kingdom to our broken world. I'm here to restore the broken world. Right now, our kingdom is a kingdom of darkness. There's evil, there's sin, there's oppression, there's disease, there, there, there's warfare. There are all these things because of man's rebellion against God. I'm coming to bring a new world order so that you might know what this new world order is like. He heals the sick. And by announcing the gospel of the kingdom, he says, don't you want to be a part of this? Don't you want to be a part of my kingdom? And he invites us to share in the kingdom that he is bringing. And so here in, uh, in verses 13 to 18 of Matthew chapter 5, he then describes what the people of the kingdom are to be like. Because as people of the kingdom, we too are to give a foretaste to the world around us of what the kingdom of God is like. And so here is the character. Here are how those who are citizens of God's kingdom are to live. And so he first begins by saying, you are the salt of the earth. Now notice that he doesn't say, you should be salty. He's not telling us what to do. He's telling us who we are. He says, you are the salt of the earth. That is our identity uh, that, that we are. Uh, we are the salt of the earth. Now, uh, so as God's kingdom people, we are salt. Well, 
think about what salt is like. Salt has, has many uses, and of course, uh, our favorite is salt is used to season food. So, you know, can you imagine eating a pretzel without salt? I mean, what's the point? A baked potato without salt, it's, you, you might as well eat cardboard or something, uh, you know, or, you know, uh, you know and so many things just taste better with salt. Ordinary vegetables. In fact, our word salad, our word salad actually comes from meaning salted. It's because the, the Romans would salt their leafy vegetables. Uh, one of the things that I do every Sunday night, I will do it tonight, is I make popcorn every Sunday night. Uh, I do not put it in the microwave where you have all that oil film all over your popcorn. You don't use the air popper that dries it out and makes it taste like tissue paper and styrofoam. I have this little pot I keep on my stove called a whirly pot. Have you ever seen these? I don't get a commission. Um, These things are great. Uh, But you put your popcorn in there and, and you heat it up on the stove and you turn this little hand crank and so it pops it perfectly. And then you melt butter, not margarine. Margarine is a sin against God's creation, you know, <laughs> butter, and you melt copious amounts of butter and you pour it on there and, it, and it's delicious, but, but even beautifully popped, wonderfully buttered popcorn without salt is kind of, hmm, I mean, it's okay, it's okay, but, but if you want the flavor to pop, you got to add salt, right? you you got to add add some seasoning. And and it's what what makes it so when you eat that popcorn and it's properly buttered and salted and you put it in your mouth, I mean, you you just have this repetitive motion of of eating. You just want more and more and more. And, And that's what we're to be like. That when the people of the world are around us, they long for more. They, 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 they're, they're drawn to us. They, it makes them hungry and thirsty for the kingdom of heaven. Years ago, when our children were young, we lived in a neighborhood, and it was a new neighborhood where everybody had young children. Everybody had young children. And, and so we, all of our kids went to the same elementary school. We all stood at the same bus stop. We shopped at the same Target, went to the same grocery store. We are in the same kids' activities. We all knew each other pretty well. And, uh, and so all of us had young children. Most of them did not go to church, but there was one family in our neighborhood that went to our church uh, that had teenagers. And so one Sunday, one of the unchurched moms in our neighborhood came to our church with her children. And she said, I've been seeing these teenagers. I want my children to grow up like those kids, and that's why I'm here. What happened? We had salty teenagers. We had teenagers who who were good and kind and loved Jesus and loved their kids. And the mom looked at those kids and said, I want that. They were salty. She was thirsty and hungry for the kingdom of God. And so that's how we're to be. We're to be living in such a way that people say, I want that. I'm I'm drawn to that. I, I, I find that attractive. But salt is not only uh, something that adds seasoning, salt is also a preservative. It, um, it keeps things from rotting. It's, uh, salt draws out water out of, uh, uh, out of certain things and, and uh, causes the slow down the growth of microorganisms. It, uh, it slows down oxidation, which uh, prevents meat from becoming rancid. It's it's why we have bacon, you know, so, uh, uh, which is another wonderful gift from God. Uh, uh, but it keeps meat from rotting, and, and that's, uh, 
the same thing that we are supposed to do as God's people in society. I hadn't thought about that till now. We are the bacon of the earth. No, um, um, uh, but uh, we are to be like that. We're to, we're to keep things from rotting, keep things from decaying. Uh, and, and our presence, by our, by our faithful presence in the community, it should be a deterrent to evil. Uh, it should be a deterrent to things that, that, are, that are sinful and destructive. The world should be a better place simply because we are here in our faithful presence. Now, that does not mean that as God's people, we are the world's policemen. That we go around policing other people, telling them what they are doing wrong. We're, we're going to start studying 1 Corinthians in a couple of weeks, and uh, three weeks. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 12 to 13, Paul makes it very clear that our job is not to judge the world. That is not our job. He says, in fact, that's God's job, not your job. So, so don't take over God's responsibility. Now, we do have a responsibility, he says, towards one another in the church. That's different. But our job is not to judge the earth. We are not, uh, the, in, in the, that sense, we're not the moral policemen of the world. So being salt does not mean we go around telling everybody else what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, and, and how they ought to live. Rather, our faithful presence, though, will have a preserving effect. But notice that Jesus doesn't just say that we are salt. He says we are the salt of the earth. Notice that. There we find the commander's intent. Our commander's intent is not simply that we be distinct. Our commander's intent is that we give life to the world. Our commander's intent is not simply that, that we, we maintain our distinctiveness as the people of God, as important as that may be. The commander's intent is that we are the salt of the earth. And uh, you know, for salt to be any use, we must, as Becky Pippert said uh, famously a number of years ago, the salt's got to get out of the salt shaker, right? Salt in the salt shaker does not salt the earth. How can we add life to our community if we withdraw from it? How can we preserve it if we're not engaged? How can we be the salt of the earth if we stay in a little Christian ghetto, hanging out with Christian friends, only engage with other Christian people? Uh, to be salt means we have to be in the world, but not of the world. We have to be in the city. We have to be living local, uh, as we might say. Of course, there's a danger, right? The danger is, as we are in the world and we're seeking to influence the world, what can happen? Well, the world can influence us. And, and, and instead, of the, the, instead of us salting the earth, the, the world can, can make the church more worldly and less salty. In fact, Jesus warns about this very thing. He says that, that salt that has lost its taste, he says, is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, technically speaking, Salt cannot lose its saltiness. So if you're a chemist, you're probably thinking that can't happen. Well, Jesus is not giving a chemistry lesson. He's giving a real life lesson from real life experiences there around the Dead Sea. So in those days, uh, they would get their salt, uh, not in the grocery store, or someone might go and buy it, but they would collect salt uh, from the rocks uh, and dig them out of the ground around the Dead Sea. And of course, the, uh, the, the rocks would be not pure salt. They would have uh, uh, salt mixed in with other elements. And so what would happen is water would wash, wash through these rocks. Uh, it would leave the residue behind, but the sodium chloride would wash out. And so uh, the salt rocks would still have the shape of salt 
They would look like salt. They'd still be white like salt, but they no longer would have the taste of salt. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. In fact, it's interesting that the word he uses for salt that has lost its taste, the word for it's lost its saltiness, the word there is moron. And it means exactly what you think it is. Uh, the word for losing its taste, losing its saltiness, is moron. It means foolish. Jesus says that salt that's not salty is moron. It says that, that Christians, who are people who call themselves Christians, who are not living distinctively from the rest of the world, are moronic. Jesus' words, not mine, right? And so, so it is foolish to live that way. And so Dan Duriani puts it this way. If the only visible difference between Christians and secular people is that we go to church on Sunday and give money more, away more regularly, why would they want to join us? If we divorce, alienate our children, tell lies, and make dirty deals like everyone else, why not play golf on Sunday and spend our money on exotic vacations? Now, if we use our power like everyone else, if we politic like everyone else, if we watch out for our self-interest like everyone else, or if we look down our noses at them with haughty senses of self-righteousness, then why in the world, why in the world would the world be drawn to us and want to be part of Christ's kingdom? We must remember the commander's intent. We must remember the commander's intent. We are the salt of the earth. And to, to be the salt of the earth, we must uh, do two things. One, we must maintain both purity and proximity. Purity and proximity. We must, we must retain our character as the people of God. And yet at the same time, we must be engaged with the world around us. Uh, David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons in their book Unchristian put it this way. He said, if you only practice purity apart from proximity to the culture, you inevitably become pietistic, separatist, and conceited. If you live in close proximity to the culture without also living in a holy manner, you become indistinguishable from fallen culture and useless in God's kingdom. So if we're going to fulfill the commander's intent, we must maintain purity and proximity. We must be salt. We must be distinct as the people of God. We must seek to live godly and holy lives, which, by the way, Jesus is going to explain further in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we, must, we must live differently. But at the same time, we must be out of the salt shaker. We must be in contact with the world. We must live local and engage with our city. Well, not only must we live local as those who are engaged with our city, we must also engage with gospel love. And what does that mean? Well, we understand gospel love by, by understanding Jesus' second metaphor, and that is light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Again, notice he is not saying uh, what you are to be. He's saying what we are. If you're the people of God, you are the light of the world. Now, now light, like salt, makes everything more enjoyable. You know, the power rarely goes out here, but if you've ever been at home on a night where the power went out, not just in your house, but in the whole neighborhood, I mean, it's dark. It is dark. And, uh, you know, what can you do? You know, what can you do? You, you, know, you can't read a book. You, you can't play a game. Obviously, you can't watch television. Uh, you know, you, you can't even find your way around the house unless you light a candle or find a flashlight or 
use the little light on your iPhone that you have now. Uh, you know, you can't, you're, you're stumbling in, in the dark. You can't, you, you just can't enjoy things. Uh, and so in the same way, uh, light uh, makes life enjoyable. And just as salt prevents meat from rotting, light has a preservative effect as well. It, it stunts the growth of evil. Uh, you know, there's a reason why uh, when they build gas stations now, they light them up so brightly that you can see them from outer space, right? Remember when the, the come and go gas stations first came to town, I go, wow, I bet you can see that from Canada. It's, um, they're, they're extremely bright. Why is that? Because in the light, you, know, you don't worry about getting mugged too much in the light. The dark's where it's scary. Drug deals, they don't say, let's find a good street light where everybody can see us to do this drug deal. You, you go to the darkness. Light, light has a preservative effect. It, it, uh, it, it maintains things. It keeps things safe. Uh, we live in a very lit up world. And even when it's dark at night, we always have lights on. Like in your bedroom, at night tonight, you probably have the light from your alarm clock, the light from where your phone is charging and your other things are charging. Up on my ceiling, there's a light from the smoke detector. There, there is no darkness in our world. And if you need more light, you flip on the switch. And if you forget to turn off the light, you don't worry about it because light's just not that expensive. That's not how it was in the ancient world. It was a very dark world. Uh, candles and oil lamps were you know, very expensive for most people, for the common person. So that meant when the sun went down, it was dark. And if you bothered to light a lamp, you wanted it to give light to the whole house because the whole house usually was a, a one-room house. You wouldn't light your lamp. In fact, the, the illustration, you see how silly it is. You wouldn't light your lamp and then say, wow, I've got this lamp, it's costing me money, I light it, and I'm gonna cover it up so that it is now completely useless. That, that doesn't make sense. Uh, you, you know, you, you wouldn't do that sort of thing. And instead, you light the lamp and you put it on a lampstand because you want it to give light to the whole house. And the same way, Jesus says, we are the light of the world. We are light, not just for ourselves, not to be hidden, not to be covered up, but we are the light of the world. Notice that. Again, commander's intent. What's the commander's intent? Not just that you be light, but that you be light for the world that you be light for the world. And so he says, let your light shine before others. Again, it is for the sake of others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are light, commander's intent, so that others might see your good works, so that they may give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, if you're living apart from the world, if you're separated, if you're segregated, if you're withdrawn from the rest of the city, how in the world are they going to be blessed by your light? If we're in our own little Christian community, in our enclave, and only are hanging out with Christian friends and, and contacting Christian people, and, and, and those are the only people we're engaged with in our lives, we've been unfaithful to the commander's intent. We're not doing, we're not being obedient to what God has called us to do. To dis, be live disengaged in the community means you're hiding your light under a basket. Jesus said that the way we shine our light is through our good works. Now, good works are not simply good moral behavior, but those words good deeds are, as again, Doriani explains, are practical acts of kindness and neighborly love. 
It's doing things that intentionally bring blessing to the city. There are, there are acts of service, our acts of mercy, our acts of justice, things where we show the love of God to our city, particularly to those people who are in need around us. And again, remember the commander's intent. We are not doing these good deeds and these acts of justice and mercy and compassion so that people will look at us and say, wow, aren't you impressive? That's not the point. The point of doing the good deeds is not to draw attention to us, but to draw attention to God our Father so that they may praise our Father who is in heaven. And so we do good deeds so that God is glorified, not so that we are glorified. <clears throat> the um, English Puritan pastor John Owen uh, said this, says churches and their members ought to think of caring for the poor as an eminent grace and an excellent duty. For Christ is glorified and the gospel is honored when we care for the poor. Many people consider it unspiritual or something that should be spontaneous rather than organized. Many think it should not be the central to the work of the church. But in fact, it is one of the priorities of Christian community because it is the main way we show the gospel grace of love. So we are called as God's people to engage in good works in our community, to show gospel love so that people will praise our Father in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean we only do good works and hope that they praise God. You know, St. Francis, you know, the, uh, the famous quote, referred to it often, said, uh, or at least is credited as saying, you know, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. It is always necessary to use words. It is always necessary to use words. Uh, deeds required interpretation. One writer observed this. He said, even the works of Jesus were not self-interpreting. Jesus didn't come and just do deeds and not say anything. Even Jesus' deeds needed self-interpreting, needed interpreting. They needed the word in which he proclaimed the reality and the character of the reign of God. So if Jesus' words, deeds needed words, much more do our faulting, faltering and ambiguous deeds need interpreting. We need to explain people what is going on. Our lifestyle, our concern for the poor, our concern for one another are all signposts of the kingdom of heaven. But it's not simply enough to live out the gospel, to be a living witness. The gospel must be explained, or as, as Peter put it, we must always be ready to give an answer or to give a defense for the hope that is within us. Well, what does this mean for us? And particularly, what does it mean for Village 7 this year as we live for the city? Well, for some of you, you are engaged. You know your neighbors. You, you have unchurched friends. You're, 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 you're not sitting in the salt shaker, and that's great news. You're involved in the community. You're engaged in the world, even as Christ has called us to be involved and to be engaged. But uh, the question is, are you salty? Is your life distinct, or are you just like everyone else? Uh, if your life is barely distinguishable from uh, the world around you, then you need to go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of chapter 5. And remember that it is those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness who will be satisfied. It is those who, who long for the coming of the kingdom who will see their hearts satisfied. It is those who are pure in heart who will see God Jesus says there that when others revile you and speak evil of you, you can still rejoice 
because your reward in the kingdom of heaven will be great. And so you need to be salty. That retains its saltiness. And to help you remember this, you need real Christian community. You need a company of others who can remind you of what is good and true. Uh, you cannot do it on your own. The, the Christian life is not something we do by ourselves. And to again, take the, the uh, analogy that Jesus gives us of salt, one grain of salt doesn't do any good. You know, one grain of salt, uh, if I can put this in Southern, is like one grit. You can't eat a grit. And some of you, by the way, grits are not cream of wheat. You do not put sugar on grits. Butter and salt. Okay. Uh, you don't eat a grit. You can't be a grain of salt. Salt only works in, uh, in communion with other salt. You know, there's not even, in fact, there's not even a singular for salt. Uh, it's, it's salt. We are the salt of the earth. And so you need to be engaged with other people. And so if you're going to retain your saltiness, you need community. That's why uh, we have Sunday morning communities where you can begin to develop those relationships, while we have youth group, while we have Sunday school classes for our children, while we have small, small groups. You're engaged in the world, but you need to be salty. You need, you need the purity, not just the proximity. For others of you, you've worked really hard to strive for that purity, but you don't have the proximity. Uh, you're, 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 and you've you're, you're neglected it. You might know your neighbors, but you keep your distance. You're polite to your coworkers, but you don't really engage with them. And, and you have good reasons. You're, you're offended by their topics of conversations. You don't have a common worldview. Uh, uh, you, you, uh, you're, you're offended by their lifestyles. Aren't those the very people that Christ has called us to be around and to serve? I mean, isn't it the people who offend you most that are most uh, different from the kingdom of heaven who need the gospel most? Now, how, how can we be the light of the world if the light is still under a bushel? Don't hide your light. Let it shine. And so that means we have to get engaged. And so for, for you, a biblical fidelity, and make no mistake about it, striving for purity without proximity is biblical infidelity. It, it, is, it is sinful. It is wrong. It is disobedience. And so if we're going to be biblically faithful, truly biblically pure, then we must mean moving, it means moving out of our bubble. So what do you do? Well, invite your coworkers to lunch. Hear their story. Get to know them. Find out what makes them tick. Uh, invite a neighbor to go on a hike. Join a local running club. Volunteer at the library. Serve at Mercy's Gates. There are a host of ways which you can engage with the love of Jesus Christ. Moving out in our mission is scary. It is much, much easier simply to blend into the world and not be distinct or to separate from the world uh, and not be bothered with what is going on there. But as Jesus commanded his church, he commanded us to be both pure and proximate, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. And so Jesus has sent his church out and at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus will send his church out into the scary, terrifying mission. And he'll say, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. But then he gives us this promise, but I'm with you, even to the end of the age. We can go out. We don't have to hide back in fear. We don't have to retreat in fear. We can go out courageously as God's people because Christ is going with us. 
And as a reminder of this, we're coming to the Lord's table today to remember that we are not alone. You know, when you eat the bread, that bread becomes part of you. When you drink from the cup, that cup becomes part of you. And just as that bread and that cup are now, what you drink are now in you, Christ is in you. You are never alone, and that's our hope. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you uh, that we, as your people, are not alone. And so, Lord, now we come and we confess to you our sin. For those of you who realize you have been in the world, but you've been like the world, you've been proximate, but you have not been living godly lives in front of others. In fact, your life is hardly distinguishable from your friends with whom you live and work and pray. Take a moment now to confess that before the Lord. And for others of you who, who really strive to maintain that purity, but, but you, you can't even think of a, a non-Christian friends. You, you don't know any. You're, you're, you're not engaged in the, the culture at all. You're not there in society. You, you've hidden your light under a basket. Confess that before the Lord. Oh Lord, we confess, you have said that we are salt and we are light, but we have not lived as salt and light. None of us here, none of us have done this perfectly. And Lord, we want to live lives that are obedient to you. So Lord, we pray, forgive us for what we have done and empower us to live as we ought to live. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now hear our Lord's assurance of pardon. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.